Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 108 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, I'll be updating you on where I am with my new EV. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that we have an episode coming up with a couple of other podcasters where we check in on the whole EV situation and how things might have changed since we all started driving them a few years ago. It's a very interesting discussion. In the meantime, I'm looking for suggestions about who you want on the show for the end of season roundtable. As a reminder, it's a number of people each leading the discussion on a given topic of interest to EV owners. So tell me who you think would make a great guest and I'll make approaches to them. Finally, welcome to new patron Ron Godfrey, who joined recently. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Our main topic of discussion today is an update on the search for my next electric vehicle. I first talked about this back in episode 95, where I laid out the criteria I had set down for a future EV, alongside where my thoughts were about specific brands and models. Let me give you a brief recap for anyone who hasn't managed to listen to that. My current EV, a Kia Soul, which I lease, comes to the end of its lease in early December. I'm naturally looking for another EV to replace it. I only have two criteria for the new car. It has to have a minimum of 200 miles of range in any weather, and it has to charge at 100 kilowatts. It also goes without saying that it has to be in my price bracket and be available to pick up by the time my old lease expires. I've also determined, after sitting in a couple of other cars at recent electric vehicle meets, that I really, really, really need heated seats and a heated steering wheel. I've never had them in a car before the Soul, but now that I've experienced three winters in them, I can't go back and get a car without them. It's a typical definition of a first world problem, right? You may recall from episode 95 that my head had been turned by the Volkswagen ID3. It fit the criteria for a vehicle I was looking for. It has numerous models and trim levels, which drop the price down to the ballpark I'm willing to pay. And what's more, I know what they like to drive. If you listen back to episode 102, you'll recall that Rob Shaw and I did a thousand kilometres around the charging wastelands of the UK in his ID3. I drove for about 50% of that journey, and prior to driving it, I was quite interested in the maker model. Having driven the car, I'm even more interested. It was an effortless drive with plenty of power, good range, and listening to Rob, a good charge speed. Unfortunately, on our journey, we were limited to 50 kilowatt charging, which was kind of the whole thing with visiting the charging wastelands. During that journey, Rob and I discussed my impressions of the ID3 and what I did and didn't like about it, having driven it from Beaconsfield to our first charging stop in Cardiff, a little under three hours behind the wheel. So I focused my efforts on sourcing an ID3. But then I spoke to someone who had both an e-Nero and the new version of my current car, the Kia Soul EV, the one with the 64 kilowatt hour battery. He bought them both from my local Kia dealer, highly recommended them, said he got a great deal, particularly on the Soul, and reminded me that one benefit of the Kia range is the seven-year warranty. Of course, the battery is protected for eight years on the ID3, but the rest of the car, not so much. So this made Kia a little more interesting to me. So a number of weeks back, I traipsed down to the local dealer to get my car serviced, £120, fixed price, nice, and told him my EV story. He nodded, let me look around the new Kia Soul Max and the e-Nero 4 he had in stock, and started to look at pricing and he quoted me £600 per month PCP for pretty much each one. That's about the same as a base Tesla Model 3. It's also well over twice what I'm paying for my Kia on a three-year lease at the moment. I told him that was considerably more than I was looking at, and I challenged him to do better. A week or so later, I got an email. Quote, the local Kia dealership is vis being visited by Lady Kia, the area manager, 
and she's offering special discounts to invited customers only, end quote. Sounds good, I thought. So I made an appointment, turned up one Saturday to find they had no record of my appointment. When I showed them the email that they'd sent confirming it, they went into a bit of a panic mode and started to do some sums for me. After lots of discussion, covert meetings between the salesman and his manager, consultation of the company intranet and some burning of mystical incense, they came back with a PCP quote for the Kia Soul of £395 per month. A lot better than before, but still £100 a month more than I'm paying for my current car. On top of that, delivery times are still quite distant, about 25 weeks. In the meantime, I went to fully charged outside and spent a couple of days hanging around like-minded EV people. One of these was Olivia from Drive Electric. She was a contact I first spoke to when I was looking to get my first EV three years ago. When I told her what I was doing, she sat down and put together some figures for me. It turns out that the end of the lease isn't a hard and fast date. If I needed to extend it for a couple of months due to waiting delivery of a new car, I can do that informally with a nod of the head. If I wanted to make a formal lease extension, say another six or 12 months, this could be negotiated and would probably work out lower than my current lease amount. In fact, to extend for another year, my payments would reduce by about £70 a month. To extend for another four months brings my lease down by £60 a month. And this gives me options if delivery dates are a problem. On top of that, they had a lease offer on just the ID3 I was looking for at £341 a month. It's still higher than I wanted, but it's a lot lower than the Kia dealer rate. So I went to the dealers again to see what rates they were offering. Uh, now, when I say I went to the dealers, what I mean is I registered for a service called CarWow and put in a number of requirements for various cars. I tried the ID3 Life, the ID3 Family, the Kia Soul, etc. CarWow then sends the details off to all the dealers and they let you know what prices they've got for these cars. It's a great way for filtering out overpriced offers and identifying one or two to chat with about delivery times, etc. So for the ID3 model I was looking for, which is the 150 kilowatt Life Pro Performance, with the 58 kilowatt hour battery, the offers range from 390 to 490 pounds per month. For the lower spec 150 kilowatt family pro performance 58 kilowatt hour, they were offering 393. Go figure. This was way out of the price range I was looking for, and it was made even worse by the fact that the shortage of computer chips in the industry has had a knock-on effect on production, which has made these cars more scarce than they were when Rob Shaw got the great deal on the vehicle we drove around England and Wales. Pretty much all of these dealerships said they were looking at five months delivery time. And this was an issue as I needed something in about three months. Otherwise, I needed to look at extending my existing lease, which was general hassle and not what I wanted to do. So it all depended on what delivery time I could get for the drive electric lease model. They had stock of this car, but were allocating it to existing customers who'd already made bookings. So the delivery window came out at February, March, pretty much the same as the dealers. However, the lease company are also doing a nice little deal on an e-Nero 2, which is one of the lower spec versions. It has the 64 kilowatt hour battery with a range upwards of 250 miles. It doesn't have 100 kilowatt charging, maxing out at 77 kilowatts, but they do have stock for delivery before Christmas. On a two year lease, that will come out at 362 pounds a month with six months down. It's a little outside my budget, but I get a really good car with a phenomenal range, seven year warranty and a short lease, which will allow me to change to something in two years when the market will have opened up quite considerably. So I had a choice. I could finish the lease as scheduled, take delivery of an e-Nero before Christmas and pay a little more than I wanted for two years. Or I could extend the lease for another few months and take delivery of the ID3 in February or March 
and end up paying a really good price for a well-specced ID3. Decisions, decisions. To be honest, I've rarely had to buy cars to a schedule like this, and I've never had to buy cars where demand was outstripping the supply to such a point where the waiting times were more than immediate delivery. So this was all a little new to me. Now, I wanted to know if this was something unique to my situation. So I spoke to someone I know who's just gone through the same process, albeit moving from a hybrid to an electric. This is a friend of mine and podcast listener, Michael French. I asked him why he went electric. That's a very good question. Um, I My previous car was a Prius, so I've already been quite interested in you know, moving over to full EV at some point. So driving a hybrid for a few years was definitely a good point in the right direction. And then we, obviously, I've known you for a long time and I was chatting to you regarding actually pushing ahead and getting the EV. But for me personally, it was a number of things. I kind of wanted to bring down my driving costs. I do a lot of driving. Um, my work is all over the place. So yeah, unfortunately, I do quite high miles. Um, and I'm also quite conscious of my carbon footprint as well. So I did want to kind of offset some of that against driving a full, you know, internal combustion engine vehicle for a long mm -hmm. period of time. When did you start the actual process for looking for your new car? I started um, probably around Easter time this year and then it went all through summer and it kind of got more ingrained in my head that I was going to go ahead with it through the summer months. So I went and test drove a few vehicles and then decided that I really wanted to push ahead. And especially when the great fuel crisis of October 2021 happened, <laughs> that really gave me a kick and just said, just do it, get it done. Let's stop messing around with all of this rubbish going on outside there that's out of our control. And then, yeah, then I made the decision to go ahead. Right. So you said you went for a couple of test drives. Now, was the whole process or were you intending always to buy direct from a dealer's or did you look at leasing? How, what was the sort of rationale behind that? Yeah, I went for the test drive just to get an idea of the vehicles themselves. But I, in my head, I always wanted to go down the lease route. Um, I was looking around and financially, there's no way I could have afforded to buy, you know, a, a 22 to £40,000 vehicle. Mm -hmm. So um, with that in my brain, I kind of went out and just tested them out, make sure I knew what I wanted and what I wanted to get out of owning an electric vehicle and then go down that route. Um, what criteria were you looking at in terms of, because I mean, there's there's quite a wide range now of different EVs that you can get. So what were you looking at to sort of narrow that range down? So I kind of, I, for me, I need something a reasonable size. So I knew um, just to run through a few things, for example, like a, a Zoe was going to be way too small for what I need. I carry a lot. And that's kind of why I had a Prius prior to getting the EV. It's just to have it was kind of like a workhorse more than a car. The back seats were always down. I carry a lot of equipment for my work. So there was loads of stuff being thrown in there all the time. And it did such a wonderful job over the years I had it. And with that in mind, I knew I needed something a bit bigger, but I also wanted something that was going to fit into my lifestyle like that. So um, yeah, I, I got a Hyundai Ionic, um, which to be honest is almost like having a Prius. It's literally the same size, um, very similar look to it, similar body angles. Um, so I knew in the back of the vehicle, I was going to still have that space to you know, use my maximum load if I did need it for stuff like that as well. So you ended up with the uh, Ionic, fabulous car. We're big fans of the Ionic on this podcast. What were the other ones that you test drove? So I did test drive an Ionic. Um, EV, I, I don't know if you know much about the range. There's only two EVs they do, which is the Premium or the Premium SE. Mm -hmm. um, I test drove the SE, which is all 
you know, top of the range, everything, bells and whistles um, all over it. Wonderful car to drive. I test drove an MG ZS as well. Really, I mean, that is the SUV that I test drove. Um, mm. Lovely car. And to be honest, I did mention when I test drove it to the, the gentleman at the garage that it just it felt a lot bigger inside than what it looked like from the outside. Like I felt like it was quite a small SUV, but on the inside, it was almost like, you know, Mary Poppins handbag. It felt huge. And then I also test drove a VW ID3 as well. Wonderful, wonderful car, beautiful to drive, um, really, really quick. And to quote um, the guy I went out with, he did, did say to me, drive it like you stole it. So I tried my best. But yeah, all in all, it, it was just beyond my price range. Um, so I knew realistically that was going to be too expensive for what I needed it for. Um, which is why I ended up with the Ionic. It was kind of the middle ground of everything. Um, even the the premium, which is the model that I went for, it's got so much kit on it. Like mm-hmm. I'm so impressed with the amount of stuff you get in that vehicle for the price and for what I'm paying. So that was kind of it in the end. It did a lot of it did come down to costing. Um, I did actually inquire about getting an MG5. Yeah. Um, if obviously I'm assuming most people know what they are, but they're quite a big um, estate EV that MG do. But um, yeah, I did actually inquire about the long range, which is the one they do, which goes up to 250 miles per charge. Um, and unfortunately, there was a four month wait on that. And that was also kind of a thing. One of the reasons that really kicked me into getting the Ionic, I didn't really want to sit around and wait for getting my EV experience up and running because I was, I don't know, a little bit panicked after the uh, fuel crisis and everything else going on. I just wanted to kind of get the car, get it settled. They, they had this in stock. I got a good deal. So I was really happy. So go through again, what were the di- different delivery times you were given on on different options um, other than the Ionic, which was in stock? So yeah, to be honest, I, I literally just looked at the MG5 long range. They did have an MG5 in stock, but for the cost of the vehicle, I mean, the regular MG5, you don't really get much kit on it. It comes with no no real safety features. Mm-hmm. There's no dynamic cruise control and, you know, the lane keep assist or anything like that. That's more of the, the upgraded package that MG do with the long range. Um, so I could have got an MG5, um, just the regular version straight out. Then obviously the ionic which was yeah there wasn't really any wait time they had that in stock already and i think they had the mg5 in stock but the mg long range was they quoted me three to four months on a wait list so um with all of that in order it was just down to those vehicles really what were the terms on the lease did you get a three-year one with a certain amount down um so i just opted for a two-year lease with ten thousand miles per year in hindsight, I took my Prius in to get serviced just before I got rid of it because it, it basically the MOT was running out, so I needed a new MOT. And they said to me, my last year in the Prius, I did 13,000 miles in. So mm. probably should have gone a little bit more than 10,000, but I'm going to try and offset some of the miles by using my wife's car on the odd occasion just to make sure I'm keeping within those 10,000 you know, miles that they've given me and what I've been paying for. So I did put um, a lump sum down Mm-hmm. which was, I think it's just over £2,000 up front. And then we've got the, the the next two years to pay. So 23 months, I believe off the top of my head, it works out about 222 per month. Mm-hmm. And then I'm paying for the service package as well because it just seemed so ridiculously cheap. And I think it's just over £7 a month on top. So it's just under £230 a month for 
the car and the package and everything else and then obviously you've got electricity on top. Uh, right let's talk about the EV driving experience how many miles have you done so far in it? I've done in the space of two weeks I've done about um, 750 miles so <laughs> already you know I'm thinking about this whole mile thing it's kind of like a black cloud over the top of my head at all times um, so it has been quite heavy um, although I've been to Gatwick twice and for anybody who doesn't know me I live in Hemel Hempstead so that's you know a 120 125 mile round trip so that's um, added quite a bit on already but like I said I do a lot for work. My challenge to you in much the same way as I have hopefully helped and influenced you to move off fossil fuels and onto um, an electric I would like to see you do that for at least one and potentially two other people that you know and I think that's one of the ways that we'll, we'll definitely start to get the word out and get more electric vehicles on the road. Definitely. Challenge accepted. So that's the current situation. The market is very buoyant at the moment with long lead times for many cars and some in-stock provision for cars which don't necessarily meet my requirements regarding charging and range. Michael loves his Ionic, as do I, but with 44 kilowatt charging and a 38 kilowatt hour battery, it falls well outside my spec. Lead times for electric cars are extending as demand increases. A lot of this was also affected, as Michael mentioned, by the recent spike in EV sales inquiries after the petrol crisis in the UK. I also looked at second-hand cars. Nowadays, it's easy enough to pay more for a second-hand car that has immediate availability than it is to pay for a new car with a five-month delivery time. So, second-hand cars are out for the moment. Now, that leaves me with the following options. Number one. Extend my Kia Soul lease informally for a couple of months and lease an ID3 for delivery in February or March. Two, finish my Soul lease as planned and get an e-Nero on a two-year lease instead before Christmas. Three, extend my Soul lease formally and get a lower spec ID3 from a dealer to end up with equity after the PCP. And again, this will be March delivery at the earliest. So what should I do? It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with you listeners. The world's first electric flight over the Cook Strait in New Zealand took place recently. The Cook Strait is a stretch of water that separates the North and South Islands of New Zealand from each other. The 78km 49-mile flight between Blenheim and Wellington in the E. Pipistrel aircraft took 40 minutes and cost a grand total of two New Zealand dollars. That's a pound and five pence or a dollar 43 American. Pilot Gary Friedman estimates the Cook Strait flight used about 12 kilowatt hours of power, costing around two New Zealand dollars, although he charged up the e-aircraft for free at Blenheim and Wellington, where he arrived with about 40% of battery power remaining. Well, sure, it's a little step, but to put this in context, the world's first powered flight in Kitty Hawk, South Carolina in 1902 would have easily taken place on the wingspan of a current Boeing 747. But within 30 years of that, we had passenger flights across the world in Pan Am Clipper seaboats carrying 38 passengers in comfort with smoking lounges and food. From small beginnings. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in car, on CarPlay or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. 
If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? Well, if you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings, ko-fi.com slash evmusings, and you can buy me a coffee there. It takes Apple Pay too. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So, <laughs> You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. At the moment, it's free on Kindle Unlimited, or if you're in the Kindle Lending Library, please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you got to this point by tweeting me at MusingsEV with the words shiny new car, hashtag if you know you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know he's very interested in swapping his air miles for something a little less carbon intensive. He found a place where he can offset some of his miles against a new top-of-the-range unicycle. Very expensive. Too expensive to buy actually. So he's leasing it with his air miles. Um, so I just opted for a two-year lease with 10,000 miles per year. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye.